So I'm sick like a dog today. <clears throat> so it's, uh, it might be a little less, who knows what it'll be. It's gonna be what it is. Anyway, we give to God what is God's and God can use it as he wills, right? All right, let's open with a word of prayer. God Almighty, we come to you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you poured out everything. And I think, Lord, as I um, think about that, I just pray that you would help us know what you poured out. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this might be, it's probably going to be a little shorter message, but what I, what I want to do is, I'm just going to start out with a little bit of what we did last night. What we did last night with the, with the young people was um, um, we hadn't had uh, Friday evening or Saturday evening church apparently here for a couple of weeks. So um, Brianna wanted to share with the kids the, well, the, the, the couple of videos that had been missed. So she ran those things. And one of those, one of the stories that came out was Judas and how Judas went out and hanged himself. And then one of the other things that was brought up is some of the apparent contradictions in your Bible. And anyone ever read those things? You always sort of wondered. You know, like, uh, there, there's some little ones, like, you know, one says the rooster crowed three times, one says the rooster crowed, that kind of stuff, who cares? You know what I mean? Not a big deal. On the other hand, you get the story of Judah, Judas, who betrayed Jesus. And, uh, you know, we speculate a little bit about why Judas betrayed Jesus, because Judas wanted, Judas had some agenda. He thought Jesus was sort of going to be the superhero, the iron man that stood up and took the kingdom by storm. And what does he do? He keeps his mouth shut, doesn't defend himself, and he goes to the cross. And Judas is like, what? Like, when Judas found out what Jesus was going to do, I, I guess he couldn't take it, and he, so he, he went and sold Jesus out, betrayed Jesus. Okay. So then it comes out how Judas says when Jesus was rested, uh, there came a point in time where Judas was filled with grief as he watched how Jesus handled himself. And, and he went and he threw the coins back at the uh, Jewish leaders. And he, he tried to reverse what he had done. Um, but he couldn't reverse what he had done. By then the Jewish leaders had their so-called proof. Jesus had claimed to be the Christ. He committed blasphemy and so off to the cross with them. So whatever Judas did, he tried to throw the money back. It didn't work. It didn't lift his guilt. He went up and killed himself. Hung himself in a tree somewhere. Um... And, and something that stood out for me as I was watching that, one of the things I guess that stood out for me was uh, this whole area of betrayal. Um, oftentimes when we betray people, what do we do? We're sort of like Judas. We're mad, we're angry, somebody's failed us, we're ticked off, and in that anger, we do our betrayal. But you know, somebody who is angry, that's not the whole person. Somebody who hates, their hatred is not the only driving force within them, within them, although it is a driving force. 
There are layers of that kind of thing. You can be angry, you can hate someone, you can love them at the same time. And we see that actually in Judas. Judas was suddenly struck with the grief for what he did in his anger. He went out, he hung, hung himself. And what he showed in that was that he really did love Jesus. Judas loved Jesus. The comment was made last night, if Judas would have repented, Jesus would have forgiven even him. And it's true, Jesus would have forgiven even Judas. John 3.17 says that Jesus actually didn't come to condemn this world. He came to save this world. Judas, we don't know what went through his mind in the last little while. Anyway, uh, anyway, so back to, we, we mentioned a little bit about uh, the, the, the differing stories. You read your Bible and there's some different stories there. A couple of the accounts of Judas going out and hanging himself, what, is, what it says is he went out and hung himself. Who's read the, story, the other story? The other story where it says that he fell down in the field and burst open and all his bowels gushed out. And you're going, which one of these stories is right? Anyone ever thought about that? Well, I want to say to you that there are actually two views of the same story. We had a guy in my first church. Well, I shouldn't say he was in my first church, but he was in the town, in the place where my first church was. Went out and hung himself. And he, uh, he parked his truck on Main Street, and then he disappeared. And nobody saw him for days. They started a search. And the reason I know this is because I got called to do the funeral for this guy. What he'd done is he parked his truck on Main Street. He had, with suicide in mind, he had taken his rope with him and he had walked south of the city out into the fields, he had picked a grove of trees, and he had climbed one of those trees, put the rope around the tree, put the rope around his neck, and jumped off. And he hung in that little bit of bush for days. During that time, um, you know, what happens to a body? A body begins to rot. A body begins to decompose. When we read the story of Judas, this is what happened to Judas. You know, for those of you who, who want to watch that movie, The Passion of the Christ, there are indicators that the, the writer of that movie understood this. When you see the scenes of where Judas uh, uh, hung himself. Um, but anyway, this is what happened with Judas. And um, he went out and hung himself. He hung himself in a, in a desolate place. Uh, nobody knew that he was there. And what happens to a body after it decomposes to a certain amount of time, is a little disgusting, um, the weight of the corpse pulls a head off, the body hits the ground, it's bloated with all the gases of decomposition, and it blows up, kaboom. And so he burst open and all his bowels gushed out. <laughs> to me, this is, this is fascinating stuff, right? <laughs> you know, call it my farm background, I don't know what you want to call it, but this, this is like, you know, this Bible that we have, it, it doesn't, you know, if we, we read it on a shallow level and we think it has all these contradictions. In fact, when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get a larger picture of the whole of what happened when you read all four of them, as opposed to setting them against each other. Anyway, Judas loved Jesus. And the grief overtook him, 
And instead of turning to God in his grief, which is what God asks us to do, he turned to his own strength, and he did what he did. You know, I don't know what went through Judas's mind in that last moment, just like I don't know what, through went, what went through the mind of the guy in my old town the moment he jumped off the tree. But, yeah, pretty wild stuff. So anyway, that's what we talked a little bit about last night. We talked about how, you know, you can betray someone. Who here has ever betrayed someone? Sometimes, I want to say to you, in this whole area of betrayal, it's, it's easier to forgive someone who betrays you, and it's hardest to forgive yourself for betraying yourself. Reminds me of a guy who came to me a bunch of years ago. I ran into him a while ago. Came to me, he was struggling with a bunch of addiction issues. I prayed with him. I do deliverance, right? I cast it all out of him. It didn't go away. When you cast something out of somebody and it doesn't go away, it means it's not demonic. You get what I'm saying? You can't cast out the flesh. There's something else going on. Well, anyway, at the time, when I knew him, I couldn't figure out what was going on. Turned out it was an issue of betrayal. Turned out it was an issue of how he betrayed himself, how he betrayed God, how he continued to betray everybody in his life. Anyway, a number of years ago, years passed by, and he continued in his cycles of addiction until finally somebody out east of here faced him in this area of betrayal and said, you got to forgive yourself. And he said, you know, something rose up in him. I will do anything but that. Anything but that. I, I cannot, I will not forgive myself. Anyway, the person that spoke this into his life <clears throat> triggered something. That voice wouldn't leave his head. you got to forgive yourself. You have to forgive yourself. And that dogged him and ragged on him. And it's like, you know, you ever walk into a house and a little dog grabs you by the leg and won't let go, right? Reminds me of my old gas meter reading days. You know, when the lady would say, don't worry, he doesn't bite. And meanwhile, I'm going, well, he's hanging on to my leg, ripping away. I'm like, what are you talking? He doesn't bite. You know, that little dog, right? That little poodle that just won't let go. He won't shut up. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's like that. He won't shut up. Anyway, my friend lived with this for a week. And finally, one day, he, he says, okay, enough of this. And he found himself standing in front of a mirror. And he said, I hate you to himself. But I have to forgive you. So I forgive you. And he said something shifted inside him. And it broke the cycle of his addictions. I saw him here a little while ago and he's walking in freedom. And he said that was the issue. Tried everything else, all these other things. It all tracked back to my own betrayal and my refusal to forgive me. You know, somebody says, what is self-forgiveness? You know what self-forgiveness is? It's when you put yourself in the hands of God. When you let go to Jesus. Because Jesus actually wants to forgive you. It's why, it's why he came. It's taken me a long time in my life. Uh, and I periodically struggle with that kind of stuff because it sort of comes back. And you have to hold tight what Paul says, we hold tight to the confession of our faith. What is the confession of our faith? 
It is that Jesus died to forgive us, rose from the dead to give us eternal life. I believe. So, that said, that's what we got into a little bit last night. Where I went then uh, is this, and I, I want to share with you a little bit of a story. Because uh, as I thought about what I wanted to share with you today, I thought, I would like to share with you the most important thing that I know. I share this probably all the time everywhere because uh, it's sort of at the core of who I am. Um, I taught it to a young man last year. He came to me and he said, I want to be your intern. An intern is somebody who studies on you and learns from you. And I said, I don't know if I know enough to teach you anything. He says, well, just let me hang out with you and I'll see what I can pick up. Okay, so he did. Uh, one of the things I did with him is I gave him some teachings. And I said, I want you to spool your way through this stuff until you've got this stuff down cold. And he was a good kid because he did that. Every time I wasn't doing anything with him, I'd find him sitting over the church or sitting in a coffee shop and he'd be, he got the old, you know, I give him CDs, right? So he'd be out with a Walkman, like a Sony Walkman, right? Not the old cassette one, but the CD one, like an antique. And he'd have his headphones on and he'd be listening. And he was writing notes and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, he said it got to the point after a while, listening to that stuff over and over, he said it began to saturate his brain and it began to take over the way he looked at people. And uh, anyway, this young fellow was prepping for the mission field. Shortly after he got done with me, he spent uh, about three months with me and he got in on some action with me. And, but but he, I made him soak himself in his teaching. It's what I call the core teachings of Jesus. It gradually took over his brain, it took over his mind, and pretty soon he was looking at it, cross-referencing everything, cross everything to it, and, and then he, our time was up. And the next stage of his life was he was heading off to Pakistan into the mission field. Um, which means he's going to go be a missionary in a Muslim country. I asked him, I said, do you know what you're doing? He says, not really. I said, okay, well, Rely on the core teachings. Okay. He goes to Pakistan. And he ends up having these very interesting experiences. One day he's sitting in a restaurant and he walks in. Uh, he's looking for cheap food because he's a missionary. He doesn't have a lot of food or a lot of money, right? Cheap food. Walks in, sits down. And this guy looks at him and says, are you a missionary? Now, you've got to be careful of how you respond to that in Pakistan because if you say I'm a missionary, that makes you an illegal person. That's a bad thing, right? You can get in trouble. Well, he looks at him and he goes, well, I know, I, I know a couple. <laughs> uh, you look like one to me. Well, okay. Good. I need somebody to tell me about Jesus. I've been looking for somebody to teach me about Jesus for years. Okay. Uh, so what am I going to teach him about Jesus is the next thing that he, he thinks to himself. And he defaults to this, these core teachings. Okay, I'll teach you this, this, and this. So that's what he does. Teaches him this, this, and this. The guy says, I want to give my life to Jesus. Okay. Shortly after that, um, this guy, and this guy has this, it is immediately given this very interesting ministry. You know, I had a friend that had this. He was like an evangelist at heart, but his way of doing evangelism was to get guys and bring them to meet. <laughs> so I didn't have to go out and meet anybody because Paul would just grab people and bring them in to meet. Oh, another Paul guy. Okay. 
talk to him, you know, anyway. So this, well, well, my friend, when he saw this guy get saved, that's what this guy starts doing. You need to come talk to this guy that I know. And he put him into all these interesting situations. He put him into a situation, he said, I have a woman that's struggling with demons. Um, and for those of you who don't know much about deliverance, I want to say to you, deliverance is not about hunting demons. What deliverance is about is surrendering to Jesus, right? It's about surrender to the Savior, not about hunting demons. So what you do in deliverance is wherever the demon has a grip on somebody's life, you share the core teachings and you invite the person to give that part of their life to Jesus. And they get free. The demon runs away. So anyway, this, this guy says, have a woman struggling with demons. Would you come and deal with her? And my friend says, Sure. Inside he's going, what the crap am I saying? I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'll go anyway. I, I've had that very same thought myself many times. You don't really know what you're getting into, but you go anyway. He goes there, he listens to the woman. The woman has had all kinds of people come and curse her, and put spells on her and all that kind of stuff. They've done all these things. She's got all kinds of grudges against these people that have done all this stuff toward her. And my friend, he defaults to the core teachings and he says, the first thing you have to be ready to do is forgive everybody who did anything to you. Matthew chapter 6, it says it bluntly. If you will not forgive, you will not be forgiven. If you bind on this earth, you will bind in heaven. Are you willing to forgive? Well, okay. So he leads her through this forgiveness prayer. Through a little prayer of surrender. He leads her through a prayer of asking Jesus to be her protector, etc., etc. A little bit more than that. Anyway, the demons all run away and the woman gets free. And now she's a believer. And now she says, this Jesus, I need to be discipled. So he hooks her up with the local secret missionary association and she gets discipled. The core teachings. What I want to share with you now is a reading of scripture. And if you absorb the reading of this scripture, if you take this set of passages, you will have everything that you need to share your faith with Christ around this world. Everything you need. Will you quiet your hearts before God? And will you hear the word of God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge this world, but that the world might be saved through him. Which is the great commandment of the law. And Jesus said, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets, everything. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it, as it is written, for your sake we were being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in these things we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, height, depth, nor any other created thing 
will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, most of us don't believe that. Most of us don't believe that. We believe there is a separation, some, something that can separate us. Paul says nothing. Well, and, and, and how do you deal with that? The, the way you deal with this is you take what separates you. Make a list. Stand and look in the mirror like my friend did. Make a list. What's the stuff that is separating you from God? I don't care if it's self-hatred. I don't care if it seems fair or it seems right that you should not be able to approach God until you deal with whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It's like fishing around in your diaper. You've all heard me use the diaper illustration, right? Full of diaper, boy, there's a bunch of messy stuff in there, right? You know, hand her all to God. That's what you do with a diaper full of messy stuff. You hand it to your mother. So mothers, get ready, right? Give it to God. Most of us don't believe this. We need to believe this. The day you begin to believe this is the day you begin to be used to set other people free. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you belong to Christ? If you belong to Christ, there is no condemnation. That means the devil can fling condemnation at you and it doesn't stick, it slides off. He used to talk about being a Teflon Christian. That means guilt, shame, condemnation slides off you, right? Remember we used to do it in school? We used, to, we used to practice, we'd take toilet paper, we'd soak it in water, and we'd throw it at stuff, right? And it would stick there for years. It was amazing. Toilet paper's amazing stuff. Well, this stuff will not stick to you because of the blood of Christ. There's no condemnation for you who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ is set you free from the law of sin and death. What does that mean? You know what? The law of the spirit of life, this is the law. It, the law is... That if you have said yes to Christ, the love of Christ has swept into your life. He has cleansed you and forgiven you. And now the law of heaven says you must live. You hear me? Because of what, what Christ said, you must live for all eternity. And it set you free from the law of sin and death. You know what the law of sin and death is? The law of sin and death is this. You've sinned, you must pay, you must die. Eternal death. But the law of, spirit, of the spirit of life has replaced that old law of sin and death. And you must live. It doesn't say you can live. It says you must live. This is the law. Wow. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You see, this is Judas. Judas, when he went and he killed himself, he feared. What, what had he done? It took over his life. I need to be punished. I need to destroy myself. The person who truly understands the love of God, it says, turns to God in whatever they've done and receive the freedom of Christ. There is no fear in love, but for per perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? Anyone? Anyone know what the gospel is? Give me the simplest thing about the gospel. The simplest statement about the gospel. 
You remember the guy that was lowered? You know, they carved a hole in the roof. They lowered him down in front of Jesus. What did Jesus say to this guy? First words out of his mouth. My son. Your sins are forgiven. Boom, that's the gospel right there. The gospel is not you dirty, rotten sinner. That's the bad news. We sometimes say the bad news. Oh, you're messed up. So that we can say the good news. But there's help. Jesus spoke the gospel. So we turn back to the gospel. We trust it. We believe in it. And what happens to somebody who turns away from their old way and decides to trust God? Jeremiah, this is one of the most powerful passages. I've walked with this for years in my life. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you repent, I will restore you. And before me, you will stand. And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. They, for their part, he's speaking about the world. He's speaking about your culture around you. They, for their part, may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Why not? Because you've turned to God. You don't look to people for other people for your affirmation. You look to Christ. Then I will make you to this people and culture a fortified wall of bronze. And though they fight against you, they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. And so I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked. And I will redeem you from the grasp of the violent. And behold... I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Who here has experienced uh, the death, the mourning, the crying, the pain? He says, when we stand before God, when we enter into heaven, all of this will pass away. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. And he overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. And Jesus came saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. You know, I've got a couple of dreams. One of those dreams is, let me put it to you this way. I dream of seeing the lost saved. That means those people have lost their connection with God, reconnected. I dream of seeing the bound set free. That means people who are living in oppression that they can't set themselves free from. I dream of seeing them set free. And I dream of seeing everyday believers living in the power of God. That means people like you, people like me, living out into our communities on a daily basis by the strength of God, by the power of God, not just visiting God at church. This is the dream I pray for, and it guides everything I do. 
And to that, to that end, um, we are called to proclaim the gospel, that message that you, your sins are forgiven. Sometimes you get into people's lives and that's the only thing you can say. Well, I don't know how to fix that, but I know this, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> right? And you equip believers for ministry. That means we want to give somebody something they can use, like my young missionary friend. That when we give him these tools, he can use them in a different situation. We are called to give away what we have been given to give. Now, Christocentricity is everything. You know, anyone know what Christocentricity means? It means Christ is the center. When you think about the wheel on a bike, the hub that all the spokes go to gives the wheel its strength. That means every part of that wheel comes in toward that hub. Jesus is the center of all we do. Everything must point to him. Everything comes from him. Every teaching leads to trusting him. We read and interpret our Bible through him. The Old Testament points us to our need for faith in him. And the New Testament shows us actually how to trust him. When we're focused on Jesus, then the core teachings of Jesus become embedded in everything that we do, and they guide our ministries in this community. We are designed for love according to Matthew 30, 22, 37 to 40. Remember that great love command. And that love will drive every action of God toward, toward us. It will also drive our actions toward each other. Mark 1.15, that message of repentance, is the call to turn back to his strength. It's not the call to be punished or just stop what you're doing. It's a call to turn back to his strength for everything in life. Luke 24, 49 and Acts 1-8, it says the spirit empowers everything that we do and say in living for Christ. And Matthew 28 just simply tells us to take it out into the world. Well, you know what? When we take this seriously, we become that multifaceted uh, community of faith. A five-fold ministry. You guys all heard about the five-fold ministry? I believe in this congregation you endorse that. Uh, I've been in congregations where we endorse a two-fold ministry. But actually Ephesians 4 talks about a five-fold ministry. We embrace an apostolic ministry. That the early church focused on meeting together, breaking bread, on the, and focused on learning the teachings of the apostles in prayer. We become a prophetic ministry. That means we seek to proclaim both a specific word and a general word of encouragement and the call to repentance. We become an evangelistic ministry. That means we proclaim salvation in Christ alone by the power of the word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you don't earn your salvation, you trust Jesus and he gives it to you. We become a pastoral ministry, which means we nurture believers in their growth and their struggle in gentleness and love. We don't leave people alone. We bring comfort. We're also a teaching ministry. You know, Jesus was a rabbi. Uh, that means teacher in Hebrew. He taught the people. And we do likewise. We lay a foundation of teaching so people can be equipped to disciple others. So that you have something to give when you get put in a situation where you have an opportunity. And so, as I come to a, the close of my time here, I was going to use my little low-tech whiteboard thing. I don't have enough time for that. So I want to just close with this final passage. And so we urge you, Paul says, brothers and sisters, knowing what you know, and so we urge you, brothers and sisters, 
Recognize those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, who teach and encourage you. Esteem them highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. You guys as a congregation, you're blessed with good leadership here. And actually a lot of leadership here because it's an evolved place. Esteem those people. They put up with a lot. And they, they, many of them sacrifice things that you have no idea of to do what they do. We exhort you, and that means we encourage you, brothers and sisters. Warn those who, those who are unruly. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, it's sort of like my dad warning me when I was 16, right? You know, if you do that, there's going to be consequences. I'm warning you, right? Yeah, well, whatever, right? Bam! Yeah, there was consequences. Warn the unruly. That doesn't mean you're supposed to judge them or condemn them, but, you know, don't... Like, when the guy comes up to you and says, I'm going to go do this, don't say, hope it works well for you. Warn the guy. You know what I mean? It's like my cousin when he went out to jump the old, uh, the old basement on the farm in his pedal bike. Uh, we warned him. Then we scraped him up off the bottom of the old basement, sewed him up, and carried him away. Right? Warn the guys. Comfort the faint-hearted. That means when people are out of strength, comfort them. Uphold the weak. When you see someone struggling, come alongside them. Be patient with all. God help us if we ain't patient with each other. Which means we're going to fail, and we're going to fail, and we're going to fail. And yet, we've got to be patient with, with people who fail. One of, my, one of my disciples failed and failed and failed. I finally gave up on her. And then one day, she stuck. Whoa! She had grown to that point where she was ready to stand. And keep trusting God. And it was an amazing thing. Have patience. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for, for all. There are times when you look at people who are being stupid around you, and you have to say, I'm going to do the good thing for this person, not the thing they deserve. You know? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How do you give thanks in everything? You know, the reality is that oftentimes bad things happen to good people. And, and we go like, God, what, like, how do I give thanks in the midst of this? Like somebody just died, something bad happened, my business went belly up. How do I give thanks in all of this? And what God, I always think about Jonah, right? He's sitting in the belly of the whale, up to here in stomach acid, seaweed floating around for three days for crying out loud. What does he finally do? Lord, I'm in your hands. This is what we do when we give thanks. In hard circumstances, we're saying, God, I'm in your hands. Thank you that I am not alone. Thank you that I am in your hands. Thank you that though I may have given up, you haven't given up. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the spirit. Which, means, which basically means don't squash what God's doing in your life. Don't despise prophecies. Don't look at like Dwayne when he's preaching some prophetic message and say, the guy's a kook man, right? Test it. Okay, well, he sounds like a kook, but I'm going to test this thing, right? And if you don't know how to test this thing, talk to me. I've got a little thing, five points on how to test prophecy, right? Um, whatever. Test it, though. Hold fast to what is good. Which means, you know, one of my friends said, you know that sermon? There was a lot of stuff in that sermon. I'm taking the meat and leaving the bones, right? Like, in other words, you've got to filter some stuff. Sometimes the good is mixed in with some not so good. Don't participate in any, in any kind of evil. Because it's not going to help anything. And then he finishes up with this, prop, this promise. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will also do it. What does this say? It says, God is the God who is, he is the source of peace. If you want peace, you ain't going to find it in booze, you ain't going to find it in drugs, you ain't going to find it in rock and roll. You know, add to the list, you know what I mean? You are not going to find it anywhere but in God. May this God of peace, who many of you have said yes to, in your struggle to find peace, you came to the Prince of Peace, and he poured his peace into your life. And you now live with an element of peace you, shouldn't, you, you couldn't generate on your own. It says he himself will sanctify you, and what that means is he will cleanse you, and he will heal you, and he will restore you. And he will do it completely, not just part way. You know, I was always taught when I was young that if I gave my life to Jesus, Jesus would take care of the heaven part, the eternal part. My picture of Jesus was he was on a throne in my heart and he was sort of sitting there picking his nose, eh? You know, that's what you do when you got nothing else to do, right? You know, you're like, like this, right? He'd sort of sit there and he was just killing time waiting for me to kick the bucket. Like, you know, okay, I gave my life to Christ when I'm like six years old or something like that. Now, okay, Lord, you've got 78 years to kill now before we get to heaven and we can enjoy this thing. That's a partial understanding of who Jesus was. It says, this God of peace will not just deal with your eternity, he will deal with your now as well. Your soul, which is your mind, will, and your emotions. Your, your, your body, which is your biochemistry, he will deal with all of that. So we get to give ourselves to him totally and completely. And if I had the time, I'd be drawing pictures right about now on this thing. See, when we start out by giving ourselves to Jesus, then we begin a process of yielding more deeply and more deeply and more deeply. I describe ourselves like a little bit of a house. We've got all these rooms. And Jesus starts, he comes in and he takes residence in the kitchen, in the core of who we are, and he brings life there. And then we start this journey of unlocking old doors and old rooms and letting him take full control. It's a process. It's a journey. And it's one that he wants to do because in every place he goes, he cleanses and he heals. So he says, may your whole spirit, may your whole self be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, he who calls you, and guess what Jesus has called you? He is faithful. What does that mean? Dependable. He will be dependable when you can't be dependent on yourself. And he will do it. In other words, you don't have to fix yourself. You give what you have to Jesus. He's going to be the dependable one. I was thinking about one time, you know, I was climbing on a plane to Argentina. And they booted me off. I didn't, they didn't have a, a seat for me. I probably told this story here. They didn't have a seat for me. And immediately I'm checked off, right? And God taps me on the shoulder at those points in time. And he says, look, you can either trust me or go mad. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go mad, right? Well, at this point, this particular time, I said, I'm going to trust you. I mean, if I end up stuck in Florida, fine. Whatever. The moment that I said, Lord, I trust you, suddenly, they'd already locked down the plane. You know? Suddenly the door bursts open. Boom! And this flight attendant comes running out. Hopkins! Is Hopkins here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's me. We got one more seat. Run! <laughs> <laughs> Put on the plane. 
I think what was happening in that point was Jesus training me for the trip that I was going on. He says, I want you to know out of the gate, you're in my hands. I will do it. I want to say to you, as you respond to this call of Jesus in your life, your only responsibility is to repent, trust him instead of you. Give him everything you have. Let him do what he'll do with, with it. He will love you and he will be faithful to the point where it's just unbelievable. It's amazing. And you will stand with me together in heaven at the end of time. It's going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm going to close with this little little final thing here. And I don't know, it might weird you out a little bit. But Paul said it, so I can too. So brothers, pray for us. Sisters, pray for us. Greet each other with a holy kiss. So right after church. Okay. I always love this. My first church, we had some guy preaching on this. Only he wanted everybody to hug each other, right? So he said, okay, we're going to take time to hug each other. You're going to just hug each other and stand in each other's arms and, and let the peace sink in, right? And so a buddy of mine is down in, in the, about the second pew. And, and he says, okay, I'm ready for this exercise. The preacher says we got to do this. He turns to the guy next to him, whose name is Henry, right? Henry says, you touch me and I'll drop you. <laughs> so whatever. If you want to greet each other with a holy kiss, you can touch cheeks. Like that, right? I charge you by the Lord Jesus Christ that this epistle, that this message, that this letter be read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. <laughs>